Hi, and welcome to the Telltale Podcast. I'm your host, Kayla Goldsmith, and today's episode is called All About Advocacy. My guest this episode is Danielle Villefaniel, a year 12 Sydney-based activist with an interest in speaking up and supporting youth survivors of sexual violence, the ongoing conversation around consent and sex education, climate change, as well as many other important issues affecting young people's lives. Her activism within youth organisations and committees that advocate for such issues started when she was only 14, and she's continued to do so, adopting several leadership roles in the process and rallying hundreds and thousands of young people in the process. This episode, Danielle and I will be talking all about advocacy, the need for proper consent education, and a changing culture surrounding sex and sexual violence, how other young people can get involved in advocacy, and how she's balancing schooling life alongside activism. So with that, let's get right into it. Good, I'm good. So good to have finally have you on. Um, I've been super eager to hear you share your stories and insight with us all. So thank you for um, being here. Yeah, and thank you for having me. This is very exciting. <laughs> it is. So um, I kind of want to delve in first off by letting you tell us a little bit about yourself, kind of who are you? Um, what are you passionate about? What are your interests? What are you doing right now? Those kind of things. <laughs> Yeah, so my name's Danny. I'm 17 years old and I think first and foremost, I'm an incredibly stressed year 12 student <laughs> and I want nothing more than to graduate already. Yeah. But beyond that, I'm also a youth activist. I was organising the climate strike slot in 2019 and more recently I've moved into the movement really for justice for survivors of sexual violence and actual preventative actions um, in order to combat gender-based violence. So those are the two sort of spaces that I've been working a lot in in the past few years, a lot of student grassroots activism. Yeah, and it's been so amazing to see, especially because we're the same age and we're both going through HSC, which is already kind of like this really big turbulent time in itself. So for you to be advocating so passionately and doing so much, it's really um, inspiring. Thank you. It's it's definitely not easy, but it is something that I care a lot about and that's why I do it. And that's so important. Um, so stemming off from, you know, the Youth Justice for Survivors movement and initiative that you've been really kind of leading, um, can you give us a little bit of background on how that started and how you got involved with the whole campaign? Yeah, so the first thing to flag is that we had a meeting last night and decided that instead of calling ourselves Youth Survivors for Justice, we're now renaming to Youth Against Sexual Violence. So it's sort of more a preventative approach to look at the broader issues and how these issues are often like a pyramid of yeah. really more pernicious actions. That's just a fun thing on the side. <laughs> <laughs> Essentially, it came from a place of hurt and anger and wanting to turn that anger into action. Earlier in the year when we saw what happened to Brittany Higgins when she was put on a national trial and when we saw the allegations with Christian Porter and the consent education petition come out, we it was really amplified how broad and how widespread and how pernicious these issues were. And, you know, I'm 17 now, but when I was younger, when I was 14 years old, I also experienced some pretty significant amounts of sexual violence in my life. I'm a survivor of sexual assault myself. And so 
I had that background in grassroots organizing that I had learned from organizing those school climate strikes and decided, okay, if I have the experience and if I have the means to, why wouldn't I also start advocating and organizing for these issues that firstly have impacted me, but I'm also so passionate about myself. And so I essentially wrote an almost op-ed type essay on how as a survivor, as a young person, I wasn't at all surprised by what the government was doing. And that picked up a little bit, by no means was it viral, but it picked up a little bit within some feminist spaces in Sydney, within some activism spaces. And that really just gave me the idea that, okay, if this really all quite bad piece of writing really that I posted just to my personal Instagram could actually get support then maybe I could do something bigger and so I think it was the next within two weeks of that really some friends and I organized a snap action at Sydney Town Hall which got about two to three hundred people just Yeah, just at Sydney Town Hall, we had speakers from Endrape on campus. We had Jenny Leong, the MP for Newtown, and some other incredible speakers there. And from Town Hall, we marched to the Liberal Party headquarters and essentially chanted that we'll be back and we're not letting them off with this. We're not letting them continue to treat women and girls and survivors the same way they have been doing so for centuries really yeah and so from there I sort of founded that youth collective in Sydney and it's very much a very new quite dynamic collective of high schoolers pushing to continue this change and to add a youth voice to what's been happening because often young people and often minorities are left out of these conversations and we're here to make sure that keeps happening. And so we organised another rally on May 8th and now we're currently in the process of organising a national school walkout. Awesome. (laughs) (laughs) So awesome. Yeah, um, I definitely think it's given so many young people a platform and kind of, um, you know, an avenue that they can kind of like support and really get involved in um, what you guys are fighting for, which is amazing. And I'm so, so happy to see it happen um, because change is so imperative. Like it's so important to see that change. Um, So you guys are doing an amazing job there. Thank you. (laughs) So um, in regards to um, sexual violence, I really want you to kind of explain to us the action that you find necessary from the government and the system to support and provide justice for survivors of sexual violence because the current system is not doing a great job at all and there's definitely reform needed. So what specifically are the kind of actions that you really want to see happen in the kind of future with this whole movement and everything that it's kind of generating? Yeah, so the thing about this is that the bar is on the floor Mm -hmm. there are so so many changes that need to happen and in this space victories are so few and far between there's so much change that needs to happen because the reality is the system in itself isn't broken it was built that way Mm -hmm. and so 
in order for these issues to stop happening and in order for survivors to see justice, we need widespread, genuine reform at all levels, whether that be in the education system, whether that be legislative, um, etc. We There's so much change that needs to happen. I think more recently with Chanel Contos and her petition, we've seen a lot about how consent education contributes to this. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a really important conversation that needs to be have had because the reality is that in New South Wales, you're taught consent education for about a semester or a term even in year 10. By then, it's already too late. By then, kids are 15, 16. For a lot of people, it's already too late because the statistics show that one in six girls are going, are likely to have experienced sexual abuse by the time they're 15. Mm. So year 10 is too late for that. But on top of that, you're being taught this at year 10, the age of consent, you'll most people will turn 16 in year 10 or year 11, but by the time you're in year 11, you don't even have mandatory health classes. Hmm. So it really just goes to show the extent of how the education system is failing us. But on top of that, I think it's myopic and almost even harmful that the narrative has come to look centre so much around consent education because the reality is in no way is consent education by itself an antidote to these issues. It's one thing that really contributes to it, but the cultural shift and the reform that we need isn't going to happen only within consent education and we can't afford to become complicit and we can't afford to stop there. And so, of course, we need better consent education, but it's also important to remember that these things happen outside of schools. They disproportionately impact people who are also less likely to excel within the current education system in its current model. And so if if education in itself isn't accessible for everyone, then consent education isn't going to improve the current issues we see for everyone. Yeah, definitely. Um, And I think, you know, having those ongoing conversations about these kinds of things is so important because I feel like there was kind of a taboo kind of surrounding these conversations and that's what made it so difficult for so many other young people to speak out on their experiences with sexual violence and um, so it's so important to important to really nurture these conversations like you are so definitely I really agree with that and I think it definitely needs to be a mix of both you know not only consent education but also kind of changing the culture and shaping a new kind of perspective and conversation on the topic of sex and sexual violence and consent and so on. So definitely amazing stuff that you're doing with um, the whole initiative. Yeah, thank you. (laughs) Again, it's just me like in awe. I'm so in awe of everything you guys are doing. So um, specifically, you know, how can young people really support this initiative and get involved? Because, you know, I've been seeing on your Instagram and social medias, um, social media pages that you're opening up spots to other young people. And I think it's really awesome that that's happening. So kind of what are the kind of ways that other young people can get involved? So the main thing is 
we're a grassroots campaign. We want people wherever they are to be looking at the issues within their schools and within their local communities, addressing them. And if they come to us, we can help them find a way to voice those issues and to push for change. And of course, we're not needed for that to happen, but <laughs> we are more than willing to push everyone to really act as a machine to get young people's voices heard. I yes. think in terms of actions on June 24th, so that's Thursday, week 10, second last day of this school term, the New South Wales Consent Education Petition is being debated in state parliament. And so we're organising a school walkout, which eventually is going to meet at Macquarie Street. We're going to rally at Macquarie Street to really be loud, to be seen, to make sure the politicians in parliament, as well as anyone watching us anywhere, knows that we are angry and that we know that we deserve better and that we're going to keep pushing for better and so if you're able to go to that, those actions in your local area or if you're able to mobilise students in your school to have actions alongside us in your local community, that would mean everything because what we need is young people engaging their local communities because change doesn't happen from the top down. Of course, what we need are these reforms in those macro-level institutions, but that only happens when us on the ground, those in the schools, those in the communities, are actually raising our voices. I think the most important change happens from the bottom up, from grassroots, because the reality is that, like, revolutions and reform happen in the spaces and lines between what we see on the media. And so young people everywhere who are passionate about honestly anything should be engaging in their local communities and reaching out to other people that can support them, like us, for example, to push for changes that are important to them. I 100% agree with that. And, you know, it's really a shame that we have to band together to have our voices heard. Like that, I think that in itself kind of really um, amplifies the problem with the system in itself. Like young people should be able to just speak their truth and be heard on their own. Um, but the fact that we have to, you know, rally together as a collective to be actually heard is really upsetting. But, you know, at the same time, it's like, it's really awesome to see um, young people getting together and working together and having people to bounce ideas back and forth on and, and having other com people in their community that can support them. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And like, as you said, it is upsetting that we all have to do it together in order to be heard. And I think the most important thing about youth-led movements is that like I'm 17, I've been organising since I was 14, which in the grand scheme of things isn't that much time, but when you consider <laughs> what being like a high schooler is like, it's quite a good chunk of time. It is. <laughs> <laughs> and the reality is we're not organising despite the fact that we can't vote. We're organising because we can't vote mm. and because we genuinely don't have other avenues to get our voices heard. And so that's why we organise within our communities and we take the streets and we get angry and we get to work. 
Definitely. And, you know, with the whole initiative in itself, is there a kind of aim to get um, older people on side with your campaign? Is that something that you guys have been interested in doing? What do you mean by that? Sorry. Oh, sorry. In terms of... Um, in terms of the whole youth-led uh, movement, um, you have a lot of young people that come on board um, to support the movement. Um, but do you also try and rally um, older people as well, so pe adults that are, aren't in the age bracket that the organisation is actually built upon? Yes, absolutely. And I think the reality is we're doing this organising now, but we're only able to do this now because of the work that happened before us, because of the incredible activists like Saxon Mullins, for example, who led the charge for New South Wales to adopt affirmative consent. Yeah. And really, we're the ones standing on their shoulders. The thing is, we, of course, want adults to be included in this movement because really this is a movement that needs to include everyone. Yeah. What's important to us is that we're voicing young people because often we are left out of the conversation but on top of that we need older people to be listening to us otherwise then we're just yelling at each other. <laughs> but yeah absolutely and I think that's a massive barrier that yeah young movements come into a lot. I know as a school striker, it was often really difficult to convince adults that what we were doing was worthwhile because when you're young, people often like challenge the validity of not only your experiences, but also like, but also your intelligence. They val they undermine your capabilities by mm -hmm. virtue of the fact that you are young and that's frustrating. So it takes a lot of hard work to really cut through those barriers. Definitely. And I think that kind of basis that as young people, we don't have the experiences or the knowledge to kind of formulate these, these opinions is so kind of backward thinking in a sense. I, I definitely think from the experiences that we've had as young people, I think in itself should say a lot. And if we're speaking up about experiences that we've had, we definitely deserve to be listened to. So, yeah, it is what it is. But, um, you know, continuing to advocate is so important to have those voices heard. So, you know, in terms of your advocacy, Danielle, um, you know, as you've said, you've continually demonstrated a really strong passion for standing up for things that you're passionate about through, you know, your involvement in the Girl Up campaign as well and the school strike um, helped organise. So I really want to know, in terms of yourself, um, how did you first get involved with advocacy at, you know, the age of 14, as you said? <laughs> it's a really weird and convoluted pathway. <laughs> um, essentially... I was a debater. I was a debater. <laughs> you know, we met at debating yeah. camp. Which in hindsight, this is so goddamn nerdy. <laughs> I could, that was such a weird thing to happen. But yeah, I just I participated in programs meant for young people. I know in year nine, I did. Oh, I've completely blanked. In year nine, I did my work experience with the Office of the Advocate for Children and Young People. And in year eight, I did Youth Parliament. And so those were sort of very like institutionalized programs created for young people with the idea of having like mock advocacy. And yeah. so once I sort of 
gained that experience, I realized that, hey, these are skills I've learned and I don't want it to just be within these programs. I want to make change on a broader level. Um, I think with the school strikes in particular, it was actually my really good friend, Jean, who founded School Strike for Climate Sydney. And so I saw the incredible work she was doing and I wanted to back that. I wanted to support that. And so I went to those strikes and then I eventually became an organiser and contributed what I could as someone in the Greater West, which is often boils in the summer. And also as an immigrant from the Philippines, you know, my family has had firsthand experience with those natural, with natural disasters. And so it was really important for me to help voice those stories that aren't often heard and to contribute to a cause that was really, really important to me. Ultimately, it's really difficult work. You're not paid for it at all. And it's work you're doing on top of everything else. You know, I I waitress part time. I'm in year 12 and I do activism. Wow. And yeah, and the thing is that activism is really hard, but I wouldn't do it if I didn't feel that I had to. I do it because I feel like I have to. I feel like there is so much that needs to change, and if I can contribute to that change, then I'm going to. Definitely. That's really an amazing answer. Um, and even how you said you know, your pathway was convoluted in a sense. I do think, though, that, um, you know, using those kind of um, organisations that you're involved with as a platform for your advocacy is a great pathway for a lot of young people that don't know how to get involved. I think kind of those kind of mod mock advocacy um, organisations allow people to kind of understand that they have the ability to speak up on issues that they care about and learn, you know, how to be leaders in their communities, how to interact with other people um, with the same kind of insights and passions as them. And, you know, I myself this year, I'm doing youth parliament um, like you did. Yeah. And <laughs> and I was I'm, in, I'm involved with UN Youth and I feel like those kind of bodies um, have really opened my eyes to so many other young people out there who are so invested in seeing change in their communities and it's been so inspiring so I definitely think those are great platforms for future advocacy and even from those platforms I myself have been really interested in getting into advocating outside so yeah yeah exactly and the thing about them is that I think it's really easy for adults to whittle them down to, oh, they're just these youth programs. But genuinely, so much meaningful discussion and meaningful change starts there and you learn so, so much doing those things. Another thing I did that I've only just remembered was that I was really involved with my school's diversity committee. I ran the diversity committee and we worked a lot on the Yes campaign in 2018 and we organised annual Wear at Purple Day events. And so that was really my first taste of actual organising events. Mm. And from there, I was able to have new conversations, learn things I never would have considered and yeah, that's why those programs are so important because you learn so much from them. But also I feel like it gives students and it gives young people the sense that, oh, they actually are smart. They actually can learn things and they actually can make change. Definitely. 
Yeah, I I 100% agree with that. And it's something that makes me so happy every time I see these amazing youth organizations that are just fostering some amazing young people who have such important things to say. Um, so kind of branching off of that, um, I kind of want to talk more about, you know, young people that might be listening to this podcast today. What's some advice that you would give to encourage them to advocate and speak out on what they believe in and what are some kind of other avenues that they could um get their kind of foot in the door? Yeah, so I think the most important thing really is to talk to the people around you and to empower the people around you. Because the thing is, you're not going to be able to change the world if you're burning bridges at the same time. And I value grassroots organizing a lot. I think I've made that quite clear. (laughs) But I think the most meaningful change comes from organizing in your local communities and actually engaging and finding out, okay, what's already happening and what new things can I contribute to this? You'll see in countries like America, for example, where university app, um, university admission is by application, that you'll have heaps and heaps of young people saying that they founded a non-for-profit or NGO or organization. Mm-hmm because then they can say that they're a founder and director of something. But the reality is that's really harmful because then it means people aren't working together and it means that instead of contributing your efforts to something that's already happening or to groups and movements that already exist, you're creating something new and don't necessarily have those resources. So my biggest piece of advice to people would be find out what's already happening, see if you can support it. And if there are gaps in what's happening, help fill them. (laughs) Sorry. Um, Yeah, and if there are gaps in what's happening, find ways you can fill those gaps and lean on the networks around you, lean on the people around you and also empower the people around you make sure everyone has a say has the opportunity to have their voice heard because really like this is such a cliche phrase but like we do really rise by lifting others up and it's only by standing on each other's shoulders that we're actually able to like reach the glass ceilings that we're trying to get to you know Mm. yeah and I, I, and I even think, you know, the youth organizations and committees and teams that already exist are so open and friendly and welcoming. Like I've met some of the most genuinely kind and um, amazing people at these, these kinds of um, organizations and teams. And so I definitely think no one should be scared of kind of um, entering them or getting involved with them. I think it's always such an open and amazing space to be in. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's the reality. Like the youth organizing from the outside, it can seem intimidating, but really everyone there firstly started somewhere, but also we understand that the more of us there are, the more powerful we are. And so we always want more people to be involved. We always want people to contribute what they can. And it doesn't mean you have to make it everything you're all about you don't have to be involved in it for years you just have to contribute what you can and the other thing is that there are sort of two ways you can contribute you can decide that this is my issue and I'm going to work on this issue or you can decide that these are my skills and I'm going to contribute to these skills to any issue that 
needs them so that for example you can be really really passionate about climate justice and so dedicate all your time to climate justice look at things like AYTC school strike seed mob or maybe you're really good at writing you want to do communications and you can help as many organizations as you want to with your writing skills they're really there are so many different avenues and way to help ways to help out and these organizations are volunteer run they need help they need support and mm -hmm. it's really it's not as intimidating as it can often seem from the outside 100 percent um so yeah I kind of want to now talk a little bit more about you, Danielle, because, you know, <laughs> as a young person, um, I mean, you have so many amazing things that you're involved with and you're doing so, so much. You're also managing school alongside all this advocacy. And um, I kind of want to ask you how you've been kind of balancing that. And also, how have you been able to manage your mental health? Because to some extent, you know, the issues that you're exploring are quite difficult and experiencing pushback can be quite demoralizing. So how have you been managing school? And also, how have you been, you know, looking after yourself and making sure you spend time to look after your mental health? Yeah, that's a really good question. Because <laughs> I think from the outside, I must seem like like a frantic, incredibly busy and also incredibly smart person. The reality is I often consider myself quite average. I am um, not at all. <laughs> I like I go to Fort Street, which is a selective school. Yeah. But I really didn't do well on the selective test. I had to enter the school late because I basically failed the selective test. And I got in by application unrelated mm. to my grades. Yeah. So I often feel completely inferior. Like I feel like like a not a traitor, but I feel like <laughs> a fake person within my school of incredibly smart people. I think <laughs> the main thing about balancing is learning that not everything you drop's made of glass. And Ultimately, it's about deciding what is important to you and what you do genuinely care about and dedicating time to those things when you feel that you need to. Yeah. On top of that, there's also just your general time management. I have the most obsessive and meticulous Google calendar. <laughs> Me too, <laughs> don't worry. <laughs> yeah, and I I often find myself scheduling meetings during my free periods. I will sit in yep. the corner of our school library and just do <laughs> meetings, which is a bit whack, but, you know, it is what it is. But I do think ultimately you it's also really important to know your capacity. I'm very aware that in terms of my organizing currently I can't be as involved as a lot of the other people in this space and a lot of the other people in this sector because the reality is that most activists are much older than me but also it's their full-time gig or if it's not their full-time gig at the very least they're not in high school still <laughs> and they're not doing their HSC this year yeah so I'll I will just genuinely tell people like hey I'm in high school I can't make meetings during these times. I can't do anything right now. I have an English paper that I'm crying over. <laughs> you know, like at the, the bottom of my email, like my email signature literally says, 
I'm in year 12. I can't <laughs> respond to everything. I'm like, it's not because I'm ignoring you. I'm just like frantic somewhere. Yeah. So I think, yeah, I think the main thing is firstly just realizing that not everything's as important as people make it out to be and it's okay to not excel at everything and to be incredible at everything because by no means am I incredible at everything I do even though I do a lot but on top of that just know that you do have a limit and it's okay to make people aware of that because the reality is that people are kind a lot of people will understand and they'll understand that hey you're not able to do everything and you shouldn't feel like you have to do everything and I think that's also another massive thing that contributes to me taking care of my mental health it's important that I don't do way more than I need to. And I admit that I'm guilty of doing way more than I need to and stressing myself out (laughs) way more than I need to. And I think a lot of year 12s do that. Um, Definitely. Yeah. And then the other thing is to just use the resources around you. You know, I see a psychologist every week just to talk about my life. And I talk to my friends a lot. I use the resources and the networks around me. And yeah, if you're able to create a support network, make sure by all means that you do that. Don't get so caught up in your work that you end up pushing people away because those are the people you're going to have to lean on when things do get really busy or really difficult. Yeah, I think that's so important, especially what you said about Um, the fact that young people don't or people in general don't need to feel like they need to be good at everything and I think honestly that kind of came to me and as a realization this week um, because I was having like an intense kind of assessment block and you know we'd received our estimated ATARs and I got a pretty good one that I was quite happy with but now I feel this pressure to keep keep doing amazing at every single thing in my life and trying to juggle everything at the same time and I want to be the best at everything but it's just it's not realistic at the end of the day like I need to understand what my limits are and I need to just try my best rather than try to be the best you know what I mean so (laughs) I definitely think that's great advice and um, it's so important for people to realize that exactly and that's the thing like even within school, you're going to have subjects you're better at than others, and that's okay. And then also very specific to being a high school student, it's also just knowing that your ATAR isn't as important as the schools and the coaching colleges make it out to be. Yeah, There are so, so many pathways and there are so, so many things you can do even without an ATAR. And, yeah, don't stress too much about that number. <laughs> I am... Um, I don't even think my school's going to give me an estimated ATAR. I don't know if I want to see it, but yeah, ultimately that number doesn't define you and you are not your grades and you are not your productivity. Yeah, it's so true. Um, And so kind of building upon that again, um, you know, ATAR is not the end of the world, but I'm really interested to see what hear what your plans for the future are, um, you know, personally in relation to not only your advocacy, but also um, the impacts of your work and life after high school. What are kind of your plans and what are you interested in doing? Yeah, so right now, I really just want to graduate already. 
I want yeah. my like my trials are looming over me. Mm. And I know they're not that important in the scheme of things, but I'm so stressed about them. Yeah, it feels like they're the end of the world. Exactly. Really it's just like, really, do you have to examine me for everything constantly? <laughs> just take take my brain, pick it at yourself. Like Yeah. Ugh. <laughs> yeah. So right now I am really focused in my advocacy work in the justice and consent space. That's something I'm super passionate about right now. And I see that going into the future as well. Yeah. And then outside of that, really, I want to finish high school already. I have a countdown for November 3rd, which is when <laughs> HSC ends. And I'm like, yeah. I'm so looking forward to it. I cannot wait. <laughs> Yeah, I just, yeah, oh, my God, and HSE, it sucks. <laughs> it really does. Yeah, and then outside of that, I want to go to uni next year, hopefully, and I'm hoping to study. I can't, well, I'm not actually dead set on what I'm studying yet, but I think I'm going to study something along the lines of sociology or criminology. Ooh, Wow, that's, yeah. that's awesome. <laughs> All I know is that I don't want to do medicine, I don't want to do engineering, and I don't want to do law. And that's mm. that's yeah. all I've got for you. <laughs> <laughs> so um, do you have any specific unis in mind? Um, well, I live in Sydney. I'm hoping to live in the inner west next year, so I'm most likely going to end up at UCID or UNSW, and that's just where most of the kids at my school go to if they go to uni. And it yeah. just, I don't particularly want to move anywhere. Fair enough. Yeah. I that am, yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. I was going to say, I have applied to ANU and I will apply to Melbourne, but Ooh. I'm so young. I'm so broke. I don't think even if I got in, I could afford to go. <laughs> So, so yeah if I got a scholarship I'd consider it and even then I'm hoping to get a scholarship out of UCID I think you will yeah ultimately I can't really afford to go anywhere that isn't in Sydney yeah fair enough um I think especially even with everything that's going on with COVID right now it's really difficult to even travel overseas to study which is a shame but We'll have, have our chance. <laughs> yeah, we'll have our chance. Maybe we'll do some masters in the future and get our PhD in something at Harvard. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> what do you want to do? Do you know? I, oh, I'm interested in law. I really am, but I'm I'm still not like completely um, set on it yet. Yeah. I'm also thinking about something creative, like communications. But I just I don't know. Really, it's it's the people at my school because I'm also at a partially selective high school and but the main kind of focus is it's very stem focused and mm. I'm just this kid that loves writing and speaking and being creative so yeah it's different from the culture dynamic there but I guess I have to do what's best for me at the end of the day yeah so. absolutely and also you can do both yeah I think there are some unis that will actually just let you do both mm. and then again we have a few more months to decide yeah, and I always hear un university students telling me that they, like, switch their degrees halfway through. So yeah. I guess, you know, it's it's just a learning and understanding, like, what you're really interested in and what, what's right for you. So, yeah, we are just navigating this, this world of growing up 
and it's quite interesting at times but yeah we're here and yeah. <laughs> we're, we're surviving right now <laughs> trains but, yeah. gonna keep going and eventually we'll be at schoolies <laughs> Oh no. Well, with that, Danielle, I want to say a huge thank you for coming on to my podcast today and having a chat with me. It's been an absolute honor to have you and I cannot wait to continue watching you do some amazing things in the future. Thank you. And thank you so, so much for having me. It's so insane that you're literally doing a podcast in year 12. (laughs) That's incredible. I love hearing stories like yours. (laughs) Yeah, and I think also it goes to show that you are well on your way to doing all of the things that you love and are passionate about and want to do because you're already doing it. So, yeah, thank you so, so much for having me and you're incredible. Thank you so much and I hope that um, my listeners really enjoy this episode because I definitely did. All the best. (laughs) Thank you, Danielle. Bye. Bye. And with that, we come to the end of this episode. A huge thank you to Danielle for taking the time to chat with me today and a big thank you to you all for listening. If you would like to keep updated with Danielle and her advocacy, you can follow her Instagram page at Villafania. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts or wherever else you're listening from to be notified of our next interview. Also follow us on our Instagram. Our username is at the Telltale Podcast. That's at the Telltale Podcast. For business inquiries, our email address is telltalemedia at outlook.com.